Hello, and the uh, Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio podcast is back. Yep, the Travelling Gong Show is back. As you may have noticed, this uh, these past couple of episodes, I'm no longer bothering with the seasons, uh, just episode numbers. Uh, the seasons are usually used in um, TV, and it's almost pointless using them with my podcast I just thought it looked more professional but since my uh, podcasts are uh, broadcast at such weird times uh, so randomly and never on a regular basis it seemed absolutely ridiculous to have a season Uh, so you'll just see them numbered from now on Um, okay so the news this week um, well for a start I'm no longer in Mauritius I'm actually back in the UK. Uh, I came right at the wrong time. The weather's been hideous. Um, actually, this podcast is coming from the Premier Inn Terminal 5 at Heathrow, where I'm staying uh, for a short while, just until I can sort out some accommodation. Uh, it's not a bad hotel. It's pretty crowded today. And a whole bunch of passengers came in because they've been stranded. Their flights have all been cancelled. If I look out the window, you can see quite a bit of snow. And even though it's night, the sky's pretty pale. Um, I do hope it clears up because I've got a long uh, train journey on Sunday and uh, a long drive as well when I pick up my car. Keep your fingers crossed. So that's the uh, personal news this week. Oh yeah, and of course I'm back in the UK looking for a job again. Which, again, is it's not really the right time, but is it ever? So, uh, this week we've, we're going to be talking about uh, some the Denzel Washington film Flight. Um, two films about Alfred Hitchcock, The Girl and Hitchcock. Contiki. Premium Rush, Star Wars, uh, it, there's always a bit of st- Star Wars in any of these podcasts, aren't there? I can't seem to get away from it. Uh, the Ward, Django Unchained, Zero Dark Thirty, Jekyll, Sherlock, Utopia, DR and Quinch, Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Here There Be Dragons and Amphigori. So, let's get on with the show. Oh. I'm also going to be talking a little bit about Barbarian Sound Studio. I did talk about this on my blog, but um, I know not everyone really reads my blog, so I thought I'd do it in the podcast. Uh, This is the film that I believe I watched on... I think it was Christmas Eve. Might have been New Year's Eve. It was was an Eve, though. which seems a traditional time to be watching a horror film anyway. So, Barbarian Sound Studio, this has been discussed almost everywhere for the last few months, Um, but on the off chance that you haven't actually seen it, I'll just talk a bit about it. Um, So the film, starring Toby Jones, is a homage to the particular subgenre of schlocky horror from Italy called giallo, which is Italian for yellow. Um, that's based on the poor quality yellowish 
paper pulp that they used to uh, produce um, a whole a whole load of cheap photo novels and comics. Um, it's uh, it's an unashamedly um, entertaining, exploitative genre uh, from the 1960s to 70s. Uh, they're characteristic for grotesque, grotesque violence, terrifying sound effects uh, in the movies, <laughs> obviously not in the, the books. Um, and also in the movies uh, you'd have uh, weird prog rock type music and uh, really intense visuals that probably be banned today for causing perhaps causing epilepsy so in in the film uh, Toby Jones is a mild mannered um, nature loving English sound man from Surrey uh, Box Hill actually anyway somehow the this uh, this guy gets a job with a horror sound studio in Italy. He doesn't know that that's the kind of thing that he'll be working on, but he soon discovers that it is. And uh, the sound studio creates uh, the sound effects, voice and foley post-production work for these uh, ghastly movies. Uh, to his mind, not to mine. I'll point that out. Anyway, he... Uh, he finds himself starting to unravel at the onslaught of imagery that he's confronted with. And uh, also he's not happy with the sound effects that he's um, supposed to produce. And he's also dealing with extreme culture shock all at the same time. Uh, much of the foley work uh, that happens in the studio is uh, I've re- it's it's achieved by the vi- this is why I've written it's achieved by the violent murder of many innocent vegetables. Anyway, this does make the film very very funny. Um, there's also a particular dialogue uh, between the Englishman and the boss or his boss uh, early on in the film about horses and uh, it, it just had me gasping for air they, they <laughs> what happens is uh, the boss and he uh, Toby Jones uh, sitting down watching um, an excerpt from from the film and um, <laughs> Toby Jones comments to the uh, boss um, that he thought the film, he was told, or thought the film was about horse riding. And, uh, you know, the screams and terrible noises coming from the uh, <laughs> the screen. And the boss turns to Toby Jones and says, uh, well, it is, it is about horse riding. I'm not, it's just that she's not riding the horse anymore. <laughs> it did really crack me up. You, you'd have to see it to understand the whole thing. Maybe I'm not explaining it well enough. But anyway, if you're into um, that particular subgenre of horror, you you will love this film. Uh, there's also a lot of um, vintage equipment all over the uh, well used in the set of the sound studio. Amazing looking uh, reel-to-reel machines and mixing desks and all sorts of goodies. Um, I have no idea what they do, but they look really cool. Next, uh, Flight, uh, with Denzel Washington. 
So in this film, um, basically a pilot saves an aircraft from crashing, um, but then has to hide his other high-flying activities from a board of inquiry. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty interesting film. I had echoes of um, the, the film adaptation of The Survivor, James Herbert's Survivor with Robert Powell, and that's a direction I thought the film was going in um, it was quite nice nicely shot um, good story at the beginning but but like I said the story didn't go in the direction I thought it would go in fact it 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 just goes right off the tracks and becomes this uh, quite unpalatable moralistic um, preachy film uh, about you know the evils of um, not being sober and I think this really spoiled the whole film for me um, I don't know if this is something to do with uh, Denzel himself but his choice of films seems to have this uh, <laughs> disturbingly preachy undertone um, and for instance the book of Eli uh, which was completely spoiled by that, that ridiculous fundamentalist streak running through it um, you know when I see a film I really don't want to be preached at uh, it's a pity because this film could have been so much more so next uh, I'm scrolling down again that's what all the ummings and aurings are about no I am my own auto cue okay the Girl, uh, Toby Jones again, uh, in this HBO TV movie. It, it's difficult to, uh, to know what to make of this film. Um, if it's true, it, it shows Alfred Hitchcock as being a, a disturbing, manipulative, abusive, in the extreme... Um, Man, um, it it this HBO TV movie shows a relationship between uh, Sienna Miller's Tippi Hedren and um, Toby Jones' Alfred Hitchcock uh, during the filming of uh, The Birds, um, but it doesn't do Alfred Hitchcock any favors. As someone who appreciates his films, I I. F I find it a bit um, hard to hard to watch. Interesting though. What I was reminded of too was perhaps uh, Stanley Kubrick's filming of um, The Shining, and the way he uh, he manipulated uh, Shelley Duvall uh, on the set to make her act more uh, distraught and upset. He seemed to um, tell her off a lot on on stage. I, th I think I watched a, a, a program called... Um, I don't know what it was called, but it was about the making of The Shining. And there were little asides where he would, he would say that he's trying to upset her to make her play this character well. And it seemed to work. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure there is any... Uh, value in that kind of directorial technique. I mean, if your actors can't act, uh, maybe they should be in a different movie. 
Um, so that was the girl. Now, this is there was also a second uh, film in 2012 about Alfred Hitchcock, simply titled Hitchcock. Uh, this one stars Anthony Hopkins. who uh, plays Hitchcock during the filming of Psycho. So whereas The Girl uh, took place during the filming of The Birds, which was the film after Psycho, um, so this film takes place during Psycho. Anthony Hopkins is impressive as, uh, <laughs> as Alfred Hitchcock, but you can tell he's under a lot of makeup. And um, he's getting to the stage in his career where he seems to be playing Anthony Hopkins rather than the character he's supposed to be playing. There's a, there's a touch of that. I'm not saying it's not. A, I'm not saying that it's a bad film, but um, I, I noticed that he seems to be Anthony Hopkins <laughs> all the time rather than uh, a comedian-like actor who can portray anyone, lots of different characters uh, so um, the best bit I thought of the film was when they first show Psycho to an audience Alfred Hitchcock's so nervous that he's gone into the foyer uh, just behind the uh, auditorium behind the doors and it's coming up to the shower scene and then you get the And the knife coming down and killing the poor lady in the shower. And uh, as you got those, uh, you know, the you can see Hitchcock um, dancing and prancing around the auditorium, to uh, being stared at by a bemused cleaner. And he's actually uh, kind of choreographing the the murder scene. And that was quite funny. What I can say about this film, it was a much more favourable portrayal of Hitchcock than in The Girl, although Hitchcock is still uh, odd and manipulative in, in this film. Um, but he looks more of a victim than an orchestrator this time round. Uh, it does show Alfred Hitchcock's uh, odd side considering that before this, he, although he made uh, films about murder, they tended to be about suspense, and this was his first genuine horror film, um, based on the uh, the life of Ed Gein, dramatised in, in the book by Robert Block. And, it, and why, I, I quite like the way they uh, have um, uh, an Ed Gein um, show up throughout the film uh, where he chats to uh, Hitchcock you know, just a figment of Hitchcock's imagination but it was interesting and, and added a little something to the film um, I, I enjoyed this this film a lot more than I enjoyed The Girl or Flight um, so uh, next, Hotel Transylvania the film from 2000, late 2012. So in this film, animated film, uh, Dracula runs the hotel for monsters that he keeps safe from the terrible humans. Um, 
and what happens is uh, his daughter's coming up to 118th birthday and she now has um, a wish to see the world outside the hotel and her dad tries to stop her in various uh, ridiculous ways which lends some of the comedy to the movie um, To be honest, I didn't like this film. It, it really wasn't good. Um, Adam Sandler did a passable impression of, of the Count, but he, he sounded a bit like uh, too much like Steve Carell from Despicable Me, uh, from my liking. They, they could almost be the same character. Um, they also included uh, far too many of those knowing smart jokes that are aimed squarely at adults that they put into most animated kids' films so the adults won't be bored during the film. Um, but these were annoying. They weren't that funny. It, it, was, it reminded me of The Addams Family Part 2. Um, can't remember what that was called, but the, the second Addams Family film. It was just skit after skit with little quips and little witticisms and it, it just broke the film up terribly um, the other thing is the film was just too long and I've, <laughs> I've written here it sucked I'm sorry, sorry I know terrible joke okay and next we have The Impossible uh, we've got Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts as the parents of three children during the Boxing Day tsunami in 2004. Um, this film, uh, it's one of those human tragedy films like, uh, well, big disaster movie. I, I generally try and avoid them because um, although I like horror, I like action, suspense, violence doesn't put me off. Uh, films that try and twang the emotional uh, heartstrings really do affected me and affect me, sorry. And this was heartrending. Uh, even for a horror nut like me. Um, so in the film, uh, this family... Uh, it's what happens to this family during the tsunami. This European family that gets... Um, goes on holiday and then the tsunami happens. and uh, That's all I can actually tell you without giving anything away. But the film is good. Um, I can't remember the name of the... the, the with, well, apart from Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor, there's one kid who plays the older... There's one young actor who plays the older brother. He was really excellent in the film. Uh, it is a good film, but you're, you, you know, you're going to need the handkerchief. So, Kontiki, this is a Norwegian movie about Thor Heyerdahl's epic expedition on a balsa wood raft to prove the seafaring ability of ancient sailors. Um, so, the, the, what did I think of this film? Right. Well, I'm going to try and pronounce the, the, act, the main actor who plays Thor Heyerdahl. Dahl. I've probably pronounced Thor Heyerdahl's name wrong too, but I'll give it a go. So this guy, uh, Pal Sver Valheim Hagen. Okay, to me he looks like a, a young Pete O'Toole in Lawrence of Arabia. He's a good-looking bloke. Um, and the, the film itself... 
I don't know. I I, I, I enjoyed it, but um, it seemed a bit long. I think that's all I can say about it. It seemed a bit long. Um, sorry, I'm slowing down now because I'm a bit worried. I'm staring at my battery, which only has 2% left. So if I get suddenly cut off, uh, well, you won't know because I'll just have plugged it in and um, use it with a charger. Oh, unbelievable, my laptop's also going down at the same time. So the, the film gives, it's a kind of boy's own adventure, you would have thought. Um, we've got these, uh, we've got Thor Heidel trying to prove his theory. Uh, he builds this terribly rickety raft. He gets the, I think, the Peruvian government to pay for the expedition. And it's beset by a series of disasters. Um, it, it appears that no one on the raft has, uh, they have only rudimentary seamanship skills. They, for, for instance, they start off the film, um, for a few days they appear to be wearing their uh, their suits on the raft in the middle of the uh, Pacific Ocean. Um, and there are a few harrowing scenes. There's one particular scene in the film. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Well, it involves a shark. And since I've seen that, uh, that, that part of the film, I haven't been able to eat meat. <laughs> and if you, if you know me, you'll know I'm, I'm the furthest thing from a vegetarian you can find. But since that film, I haven't been able to eat meat. I st before I left Mauritius, I, st I got up one morning thinking I'm going to make myself a sa uh, fish finger sandwich. I, I, I stared at the fish finger for about a minute and thought, no, no, I just can't do it. And not a good film for vegetarians. Or potential vegetarians. So next we've got Premium Rush. Or next we will have Premium Rush, but I've got, got to plug in my charger. Podcast really reeks of professionalism, as you can tell. Bear with me for a moment. So I'm plugged in now, got 2% power. Um, hopefully, my especially turbocharged USB socket on my laptop uh, should stop us from going down like the Titanic or like the Contiki. Although it doesn't. Although I'm not going to tell you what actually happens, it might do. Okay, so uh, let's see. Premium Rush. Okay, this uh, film by the uh, uh, by Joseph Gordon Levitt, who seems to be in every single film in existence at the moment. Um, he's a bike courier, where the package wanted by this murderous dirty cop. Um, uh, it's a pretty mundane, run-of-the-mill thriller-type film, but the standout bits are the uh, courier time sequences. So, like uh, in Sherlock Holmes, uh, Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes, you've got Sherlock time, where Sherlock, just before uh, combat, he'll figure out all the um, trajectories and uh, things he's going to do to the bad guy, things the bad guy might do to him, and work out every possible outcome before uh, deciding what to do. 
in split seconds in the same t way you've got courier time in this film where where the the main character Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, I can't remember what the, the name of his character in the film is but anyway he'll approach a situation on his bike doing about 190 million miles an hour um, and then time will freeze and he'll work out every route that he should take and you'll get these little like lines on the screen showing you what could happen and he'll play in slow, uh, slow motion what does happen Every, the outcome of every possibility and then he'll uh, work out what route he should take. I, I did enjoy that. Um, I do like those little sequences that they do in the films. Oh, sorry, in the TV programmes. I've been doing this lately. Um, I saw there's something similar on Sherlock, isn't there? You know, where uh, Sherlock... Uh, well, not Sherlock Holmes, but Sherlock, the uh, the TV series... Well, Sherlock will stand there, a bit like in Minority Report, uh, but there is no screen in front of him. It's just all in his mind, and he'll move around icons and bits of text and sort them out. And Quite a novel use of, uh, I don't know, film. I'm sure we'll get sick of this kind of uh, filming pretty soon. But at the moment, I quite like it. Uh, so anyway, in in summary, it's uh, it's a waste of a couple of hours. It's fairly entertaining, but nothing amazing to look at. Um, then we've got oh yeah, this is something I did um, just a couple of days before I left Mauritius. I I watched um, what I thought was the unaltered trilogy again on DVD. And it, th this was supposed to be the ones without any uh, of George Lucas's r ridiculous added CG or, or or any of it. It was supposed to be the original theatrical release uh, on DVD, but it wasn't. And it seems that you just can't get them anymore. Um, it 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 really irritates me that I can't watch the film as it was when I was, you know, knee-high to grasshopper. I really hate that expression, but I've used it, haven't I? Yeah. Right. The good thing is, although I've got the DVDs, I've also got the videotapes. And I have got an old videotape player back in Mauritius, and I think those, uh, the, the films on tape, really are the genuine uh, theatrical release, or at least I hope. Ah, no, they're not. They've got the THX sound, what do you call it? But I don't think that should make any difference. Or, or very little. It's really annoying that you can't see films the way they were intended to. Like... <sighs> okay, next we've got The Ward. And this is a film from a couple of years ago, 2010. Uh, that can't be right, 2010. Let me just check that. Oh, that's strange. Um, uh, it isn't 2010. The ward came out in 2011, but I could have sworn it was last year. Seemed to have lost a year. Anyway, Amber Heard, um, the actress 
from the Rum Diaries for Johnny Depp, I think that was last year. Uh, she plays, um, she stars in this uh, standard by the numbers horror fair from John Carpenter. Um, it's competent, it's but it's nothing to write home about. It's not particularly scary. Um, there's a little twist that's a bit entertaining. It, I wouldn't go to the cinema to watch this. Next we've got Django Unchained. And now this movie... Uh, I, I had mixed feelings about it. I heard all about it. I thought, I, I really don't want to watch another exploitation film, especially a film about this kind of subject, you know, slavery. But um, in the end, I, I did watch it. I thought, I, <laughs> you know, it's a Tarantino film, so I'm going to see it, whatever. Uh, you can see Tarantino's love for spaghetti westerns and exploitation in the film. Um, and, and westerns in general not just the spaghetti westerns but to be honest this really is a superior western and it's far beyond exploitation and it's got a serious message about slavery much in the same way that Inglorious Bastards had um, uh, used the milieu of exploitation to make a serious point about the fight against na the Nazis uh, so I <laughs> You know, I came to the film thinking it would be something, it turned out to be something else, something I quite enjoyed. Uh, there's a cameo with Franco Nero, who of course played the original Django in 1966 Spaghetti Western. Um, uh, Jamie Foxx plays the, uh, the eponymous Django. Uh, Christoph Waltz uh, plays his partner, and Leonardo DiCaprio plays a very unpleasant... Um, uh, slave owner and Samuel L. Jackson plays his most unlikable uh, character since he started acting I'm assuming the character he plays is utterly repulsive um, it, <laughs> I suppose I could talk a bit about the plot the, the basics are that um, Django's a slave who's freed by Christoph Waltz uh, because he has information on uh, two bounties that Christoph Waltz, a bounty hunter, um, needs to, to to find these guys that he he can collect a huge bounty on. I've just now said bounty about 15 times, and, and for some reason I, I'm hungry. I have bounty bar. That's what it is. But yeah, um, so Christoph Waltz... Uh, frees him, uh, they become partners, and uh, it becomes the, you know, typical violent western. Immensely enjoyable, I, th I think you should see this. Um, some people have said that it's long, it is a long film, but I, when it's a good film, you never notice the time going, and I didn't notice time passing by at all during this film. It seemed like it started and it was finished before I, I even knew what was happening. Um, the, this in direct contrast to films like Dracula which seemed to drag on forever you know, one did make me shoot myself after about half hour it really seemed like two hours long um, can I sum this film up really uh, I don't think there's anything exploitative 
or wrong with this film. I, I think it's a good film. Uh, believe me, if uh, if someone like me says this film isn't racist, it, it which is one of the ridiculous accusations levelled against it, then uh, you'd better take my word for it. Uh, in a word, brilliant. So, Zero Dark Thirty, 2012. Right, this film has presented a bit of a problem for me. Um... I like Catherine Bigelow's stuff. Uh, I like Point Break. I have, you know, Perfect Dark. Oh, sorry, not Perfect Dark. Near Dark. I think that was that the vampire film. Yeah, that was a brilliant film. Th- those were both brilliant films, and I, I've been a big fan of her work since those. But for her to come out with this movie, um, she says, although tortures portrayed in the movie doesn't mean she approves of it I I don't know Uh, films do have an effect not on the way you think but you know it does reflect on the creator you can't say I made this film but I don't approve of it because I don't think that washes it's like uh, Quentin Tarantino saying that um he makes a violent movie, um, but he's—it's not his fault that the <laughs> the movie is violent. Uh, I don't know. I I decided not to watch it anyway. Um, just the idea of any kind of subtle approval of any kind of torture just fills me with repulsion. And uh, as I'm not a professional review or film critic, I decided not to watch it. I, you know, I have that luxury to just not bother watching it, which is what I did. I suppose if it comes on TV, I'll, I'll watch it, but, you know, I'll only end up shouting at the TV set, so uh, <laughs> we'll leave it for there. Um, and that's it for the movies for this week, and now we're going to talk about some TV. Right. Oh, I, having not much better to do, I rewatched um, all of series one and two of Sherlock. That's the Sherlock with Bruce Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. And I don't know, I've watched those over and over again now, and I've enjoyed them every time, even more each time I watch them. Um, I've been reflecting on how Bruce Cumberbatch's career has taken off with Star Trek ITD. Um, let's hope that film, uh, sorry, Star Trek ITD is is all it. We all hope it will be. Um, Jekyll, two thousand and seven. So this is uh, Stephen Moffat's, or, or one of the writers of Doctor Who. Uh, I think um, a six-part show from two thousand and seven. Uh, there are uh, James Nesbitt plays the main character, uh, and there are other familiar faces from Doctor Who and other cult shows like Peep Show. It's loosely based on Robert Louis Stevenson's Gothic horror novel. It's not bad series. There are only uh, six episodes, but I must say that um, episode five was was truly awful. Um, if you get the DVDs at uh, the library or the um, 
video store, if there still is any video stores in existence now that Blockbuster's also gone. Um, or if you buy them, I suppose, which is your only option. Uh, you'll see what I mean. My main beef with the series, though, it's just too long. And, and worse than that, for a horror show, it's just not that scary. Uh, and f right, final TV show to talk about is Utopia. So this is brand spanking new 2013. Uh, first episode's been last Tuesday. Just caught up with it now. Um, this is a Channel 4 drama. Um, and it's about uh, a bunch of fans of a graphic novel who meet on an online forum and they go on the run from these assassins who are after part two of the graphic novel um, for reasons that we don't know yet the uh, the there was a lot of uh, marketing hype that I missed because I wasn't in the country aimed at the uh, you know aimed at promoting the show before it started I've seen a bit of it online um, but, but one of the most telling bits in the f uh, first episode itself was of course that big yellow bag with the uh, smiley f smi face uh, watchman symbology you know uh, and indeed the uh, Grant Morrison-esque uh, story. In fact, one of the characters is actually called Grant. Uh, it's okay. Uh, it's not bad TV drama, but uh, as a comic book reader myself, I've seen it all before. And to be honest, it's uh, hard to make something like this work outside of the panel format. I'm already having trouble with a ca camera constantly slowly closing in, uh, which is kind of distracting. Uh, on the other hand, the cast is pretty good, um, especially uh, pr probably the breakout character is <laughs> is this paranoid nerd called Wilson Wilson. Uh, there's a good bit of shock value in the first episode. Um, and a fanboy-pleasing story. Uh, but I do wonder if the writer um, is at all a comic book reader himself. Yeah, this will be a, a series I'll probably follow. I, I don't think it's going to have many episodes. I, th I think it's a mini-series. Uh, I hope it doesn't go on too long. I, know, I think I'd lose my patience. But um, the next episode is on Tuesday. So, perhaps watch it and tell us what you think. And that's it for TV this week. And now, comics. Only one comic I'd like to mention. Something that I don't know if you guys know about, um, but you can get it from Titan Books. This is D.R.N. Quinch. It's a 2000 AD storyline. Uh, written in the early 80s by Alan Moore and illustrated by Alan Davis. Um, it's a f funny short little tales about two 
teenage alien juvenile delinquents from a highly advanced and powerful civilization who like to play evil pranks uh, on on other less evolved civilizations uh, or, or planets. Um, so they they are in fact uh, responsible for killing all the dinosaurs. They just blasted them with ray guns, and I think they're also responsible for our evolution. Uh, they messed around with a primordial ooze, and then uh, we came along. Uh, so if you want something unusual and very funny, um, this series is available from Titan Books. I just uh, stick in the search DR and Quinch, Quinch. Q-U-I-N-C-H into Amazon and see where you can get the book from. Okay, and now on to books. I've been reading, and this is my flight uh, book, you know, the big tome that you buy before you go on any long trip anywhere. Um, actually, I started mine. Uh, it was my Christmas present. Uh... The book was 112263, so that's uh, the 22nd of November 1963, which I think the Kennedy assassination date, I think, I'm not sure. Um, this is a Stephen King book, uh, with a really terrible title, because I can never remember the numbers, possibly because I'm not American, but they are. Um, it's mildly engrossing I, I, I like the richness of King's writing um, for example early on in the book he describes an old fashioned coca cola or a root beer and as far as the coca cola goes I, I, can, I agree with him what he's saying basically is the, the coke that you drank 20-30 years ago tasted a lot better than the coke you get today yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. The coat today seems a lot more acidic. I don't know if that's true, though. Might be just my um, cranky old ageing taste buds. But uh, I've kind of jumped ahead there. I haven't really told you what the book's about. So the book's about um, a guy who finds a way, or is told of a way to time travel. And the reason he's told this uh, method of time travel by a man he hardly knows is that the man is dying and wants him to help, uh, wants him to go back in time and stop the assassination of um, John Kennedy. Um, I've only got a, a few, about a hundred or so pages in, and as you know, with most of Stephen King's later novels he's just getting warmed up around that stage so I'll have to tell you how that goes in a later podcast but it is it, it is it's mildly engrossing like I said quite enjoyable uh, the other book I started but now I can't finish because I left it in Mauritius was a Star Trek novel by John Peel not, not our John Peel but apparently another American John Peel um, in the Star Trek The Next Generations universe called Here There Be Dragons. Um, it's about these large dragons on a medieval-type planet that are being hunted by 
illegal intergalactic game hunters and the Federation, well, or Jean-Luc Picard and his crew tried to stop them. That's about all I know, because I had to stop on about page 10 and then I uh, left the country. The other book I'm reading, well, I'm not reading this one, I'm listening to this book, it's a talking book, is The Fall of Hyperion. So I read, I listened to the uh, first Hyperion novel, finished listening to it before Christmas, and I've started this one now. I'm up to about, um, I'm about one-tenth of the way through the audiobook. Um... If you're not sure about the... If you don't know what the Dan Simmons Hyperion universe is about, it's set in the far future, and there's a planet called Hyperion. Yeah. And there's an expedition to go there. There's an expedition... um, I've got all muddled up now. How am I going to explain this? It's so convoluted. On, Hyper- on the planet Hyperion, there's a structure called the Time Tunes, uh, where time plays weird tricks. And in the Time Tunes, there's a legendary beast called the Shrike, uh, this big steel robotic bladed-like thing which uh, impales its victims. Um, in fact, the book is so complicated that it would take me a whole show just to talk about the one book. So I think I'll leave it for there, but um, you might want to look it up if you're after some kind of mild um, distraction. If you've got a boring job and you can get away with listening to it, um, I suggest you listen to the three novels. So that's Hyperion, The Fall of Hyperion, and I think the last one's called Endemion, something like that. But that all that, that that's a good way to enjoyably kill um, a lot of your boring work work day. Uh, just don't let the boss catch you. There's one particular character that I quite like, uh, Martin Silenus. Um, this kind of satyr-like poet who who's a bit of an abject coward. Uh, but when you see the situation he's uh, put in, you'll think, why isn't everyone acting like he is? It seems like the mod- most logical thing to do, you know, when you're being confronted by a, a robot that can turn you into sushi. Uh, so, like I said, one-tenth of the way through, I'll let you know how that one goes. Um... And that's it for now. Um, I, as you know, I've got that uh, blog that I rant on uh, periodically. But for the next few weeks or months, it will probably be podcasts more than blogs. Because I'm just too busy to do anything else. Uh, so... From the Premier Inn, Terminal 5, Heathrow, this is Roy's Rocket Radio signing off for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, Give me some feedback. Uh, I'd love to hear from some listeners. And see you soon, or talk to you soon. Bye. Unbelievable, all that talk. 
I ended the show and I even forgot to mention one of the books I said I'd mention somehow again amazingly professional job but uh, I'll, I'll go back there uh, let's see oh, I'm rewinding my brain right um, one of the other books that I wanted to mention was Amphigori by Edward Gorey um Edward Gorey, I've mentioned him before, at least in the blog, um, perhaps in the podcast, not quite sure, but he was um, a poet, uh, illustrator, cartoonist, um, with a strongly um, macabre sense of humour. Um, I'm sure he, he influenced a lot of people, um, and in turn was influenced um, possibly, if you like Lemony Snicket, you'd love Ed, anything by Edward Gorey. Um, Amphigori is some of his best collected work that's just been published post-mortem. It's a great coffee table book. Um, just don't spill any coffee on it. Uh, I'll spell Amphigori and perhaps you can Google it and have a look at some of the ex excerpts. Uh, Amphigori, A-M-P-H-I-G-O-R-E-Y and the name of the author, Edward Gorey. Edward spelt the usual way and Gorey, G-O-R-E-Y. So if you have a sight taste for the Gothic, you'll love this. And that's it for the show for sure now. Now I'm definitely going and I'm going to play out the outro, so goodbye. <laughs>